Hello, real life family, friends, and if you're visiting with us, thank you for tuning in to uh, Real Life, and I'm Tim, the pastor here at Real Life in Montrose. And before we get into the message today, I just wanted to draw your attention back to our website so that you can stay connected and up to date on all the different things that we're doing. There's a lot of exciting events coming up. So go to yourreallife.com and we do have an events page there where you can find things that we're, we're doing. Right now there's a Princess Warrior coming up event for all the women out there. Uh, also, we are doing a four-week uh, life group series. Uh, we're not really doing curriculum, but we're just reconnecting together in relationships. And so I invite you to be a part of one of our life groups. You can uh, come here at the church and or give us a call and we can try to help you connect with a, a life group that might be in your area. And we're just encouraging everybody just to build some relationships, just to reconnect and get to know each other so we can have that support because we need support. We need each other. And you have so much to offer other people too. And so we want to just build our family, strengthen our family, strengthen our relationships. Hope you're doing well. Today we are going to continue our series on the Church of the Last Days. And, you know, I was looking around, uh, just looking at our culture, and we see that violence is up, rhetoric is inflammatory, the news is untrustworthy, it seems. No one's telling the truth anymore. Some of the issues we're dealing with is, uh, you know, vaccination mandates are causing thousands in our country to be fired who do not comply. We have gender identity issues that are causing controversial policy changes and our culture is changing in that area. We have racial tensions always at the forefront, it seems. We have cancel culture, which is wrecking people's lives for something that was tweeted or emailed 10 years ago. Parents and school boards are at war uh, right now over some of the curriculum in our schools. And on the world stage, it seems like America, we're losing our position as world leader and the confidence in America is wavering. We have major conflicts brewing and it seems like major wars are inevitable between some of the superpowers in our world. Inflation in here in America is rising. Supplies are stalled. Gases are, gas prices are soaring. Fast food is no longer fast. And, and we have the news that we might not be able to get our Christmas gifts in time for Christmas. And this is the world that we're living in. Wow, what great news, huh? I mean, there's so much turmoil and chaos and tension and disruption right now in our country, in our world uh, that we're living in right now. And so that's why I've been talking about in this series, the church of the last days, because we are in the last days and we could be in nearing the end times when Jesus will return. And it's caused me and many others, maybe you as well, to think about what in the world is going on. Is Jesus coming back soon? And if he is, what am I doing about it? How am I going to live my life differently? What is my role in this time? And if you are living, uh, if your perspective of life is that you're living for whatever you can get out of this world. Right now, you might be really worried or depressed or fearful about what's coming next or concerned because it doesn't look good, does it? But if you're a believer and you understand the scriptures and our role here in the last days, then you're not afraid and you're not surprised, but you are filled with hope and expectation because our Messiah is coming again and our redemption is drawing nigh. We are to be looking up and we are to be looking forward 
to the return of our Messiah when all of this evil, all of this chaos, all of this ridiculousness comes to an end and he brings righteousness to all of the world. And so we have that hope in us. So as a church, while we're living in a world that's falling apart, we're living in a, a place where things are being shaken and, and crumbling, right? What is our role and how are we to live? And that's what this series is all about. So the question I've been wrestling with is how do I engage in this culture at this time? Now, I've heard people say we need to fight for our rights. Uh, I've heard people getting more critical and strong in their words. I've heard people getting more involved in social issues. And I've seen people on Facebook and social media blasting other people for different viewpoints on things. It seems that most of our responses in this culture have been to get uh, angry, to argue, to defend. Um, it seems like, you know, we're fighting for our personal preferences. Uh, of course, our personal choices, our personal rights. And, you know, as an American, I believe in freedom and I believe in personal rights. I believe in engaging in politics to fight for the right laws, you know, to govern our country, of course. I consider myself a patriot. I love our country. I believe a lot of our blessing is due to the fact that for the most part, our founding fathers and our country was founded on a belief and a trust in God. And I believe that that's because, uh, and that, that is a reason for much of our blessing uh, throughout our, you know, 200 plus years as a country. And just looking at the Declaration of Independence, you know, you know this, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created, created, equal, that they are endowed by their creator. You see, this is the, this is the, declar this is the Declaration of Independence. This is a belief and a trust in a creator, God, who has created us equal with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so you see this in all the writings of the early forefathers. In fact, here's a quote from George Washington, our first president, uh, dated June 8th, 1783, and he wrote this and circulated it among the states. Listen to this quote from George Washington. I now make it my earnest prayer that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion. And without an humble invitation of whose example in these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Now, I'm going to put this in modern language here for you, okay? What George Washington was saying was, listen, guys, we need to be like Jesus, we, we need to be like Jesus. My prayer is that we become like Jesus, uh, that we love, that we have mercy, that we have humility. And, and if we do not become like Jesus, we will not be a happy nation. So this was the view of our founding fathers. This was the view of our first president, who was an amazing person and made great sacrifices on behalf of our country. And so I think because of that, that we have enjoyed great blessing in our world, in our country, in America. Um, and so I understand that the fervency that we have to be patriotic, to fight for our rights and all that stuff. But I want to go beyond uh, being an American 
And I want to challenge you to be a Christian because while I'm proud of our country um, and now that we see, you know, the blessings of living under God result in blessing. But when we live under the control of sinful man, then that results in cursing. And I see sinful man becoming the focal point now in our country where God is being pushed away and trust and dependence upon God is being shoved out of the out of the picture. And we're turning our trust and our dependence upon ourselves. And so the, we are going to see less blessing. We're going to see more cursing because sinful man is the one that's putting himself in that position again. But anyway, all that to say, as a church, you know, we have a higher calling than our even than our country. To be patriotic to your country is great. But there's a higher purpose, an eternal purpose beyond even being an American or whatever country you're from. And that is being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus Christ. So what are we called to do in the midst of the time that we're living in? And it comes from it. And I'm encouraged by this verse in 1 Chronicles 12, 32, an interesting verse. It says, of the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. The men of Issachar, they understood the times they were living in and they knew they had the knowledge of what Israel should do. I think, man, that's what I want. <laughs> I want to be like a son of Issachar today. I want to you know, know um, and understand the times that I'm living in, what's really going on. And I want to know what I ought to do, what the church ought to do. So in Matthew, this, that's what this series is about, the Church of the Last Days, is to help us to understand biblically what's going on in our world, the times that we're living in, and equip us with the knowledge for us to know what to do, how to live, okay? So in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about the distress, uh, the deceptions, and the persecutions that are going to happen in the last days. We see this happening and increasing in our world. Matthew chapter 25, the very next chapter, Jesus is now instructing us on how to live out these last days as a believer or as the church. So he gives us three back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back stories or parables and emphasizing certain things in each one so that we take away our game plan, okay? And so we're in week number three. So the first two weeks, I did the first two parables. The first parable was the parable of the ten virgins. In the church of the last days, is to be living in a spirit-filled, trusting relationship with Jesus, not following a religion. This is a big difference, right? Our lamps need to be filled with God, with His presence, with the Holy Spirit. We need to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, not just following a religion. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in today's message. But that's the point of the first parable Jesus is saying. To be ready means to know Jesus to have a relationship with Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Because those who are having a current relationship with Jesus will not be surprised by his coming. Uh, when Jesus returns, the church will be, be ready because we're expecting his coming and we're in tune with the spirit of God. Okay? All right, the second parable last week, we talked about the parable of the talents. And to summarize this, I would say the church of the last days is busy with the work of redemption, not preoccupied with worldly matters, not lazy, not apathetic, not distracted by the world. In other words, when Jesus returns, the church is faithfully fulfilling 
her God-given destiny of multiplying his image on the earth. Every one of us has been given talent by God, money, resources, breath. Let's just summarize it that way. And we are to give our breath back to God. Everything that we do is worship to him. And he wants us to be found faithful in running out our race that he has given us to run, to do the good works he has put before us to do, that multiply his image on the earth, that changes people's lives. So we need to be faithful. All right? Be ready. Know Jesus. Be ready for him. Know him. Be faithful. Be busy about the kingdom of God, establishing the image of God on the earth and making a difference with your life in all of the resources God has given you to be a steward of those resources. And today, we're going to talk about the last parable here in chapter 25 of Matthew called the parable of the sheep and goats. And most people know this one because it's so, uh, it's, it has such a powerful, simple message that once you hear this parable, it sticks with you. It's just so simple, but so powerful. And basically, I'm going to summarize it before we even read it. And it is the church of the last days is loving. The church is loving. So I, I'm trying to guard against becoming an angry pastor, you know, to get angry and cursing the darkness and, and, uh, and just to be frustrated. I want to be known as loving because love will overcome the darkness. Love never fails. Love is the hallmark of the church of the last days. Love, love. When Jesus returns, the church of the last days is loving people through sacrificial acts of service. We are laying our lives down for other people, okay, and for the gospel. So summarizing these three, we need to be ready, we need to be faithful, and we need to be loving, okay? We have a relationship with Jesus. Our source is Jesus, we have a purpose in God. Our mission is redemption, multiplying his image on the earth, recovering his image on the earth, winning souls to him. And we have a method. And our method to do that is love. Jesus in us, mission to change the world, happens through his love flowing through us. Okay? So that's really the summary before we even get to the message for today. So I would want it said of me and you, I would want it said of the real life, right? The, the family, real life, as we're known, that just like it says of the sons of Issachar, I'd like it to be said of the real lifers, the men, the women, the young people of real life. They understood their times, right? And they had the knowledge of what they should do. I would like it to be said those real lifers, man, they had a passionate, spirit-filled relationship with Jesus. You know, those real lifers, they made a difference with their life. They changed thousands of people's lives. And those real lifers, they were radical in their love. They loved people and they loved God. And you could see it all over them. That's why I want it to be said of you and of me, of this spiritual family that, that God is fostering here, right here in Montrose and the surrounding area, that we know Jesus. We are filled with Jesus, right? That we are making a difference with our life. And the method that we do that is through love, not through anger, not through frustration, not through coercion, you know, not through manipulation. But we are loving the world to Jesus, loving this area to Jesus. That's what I want it to be said of me. That's what I think the heart of God is right now. Even though there's chaos and there's anger and there's hurt and there's all kinds of confusion, I still think God wants us to love. He wants us to love and, and stand strong on truth 
but love this world to Jesus. Keep that, that, uh, that as a focus of our lives, you know? So let's look at this together. Now, some of us will be called into politics. Some of us, our journey is to be called in, into the front lines of some of these issues that are happening in our world. There's no doubt that Christians should be engaged in every area of our society. Some of you are called to schools, finance, government, family, arts, media, to get into these arenas, to establish righteousness, to fight for justice, uh, you know, to, to represent the kingdom of God in these areas. There's no doubt about it. But all of us are called to, to, uh, by Jesus to be ready and to be faithful and to be loving. That's what this series is about. Okay, so let's look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. Okay, this is the parable of the sheep and goats. Let me read it for us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, when Jesus returns, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. These are the sheep. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply. And this is the power, powerful statement and the main point of this parable. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, you did for me. When we love other people, we're doing that for him. We're doing it to him. He considers that a direct relation. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And this is such a powerful powerful parable. Now, my son came home, Eli, he came home the other day from school with a special project and attached to this project was something called a rubric. And the rubric was how the project was to be graded. And it had bullet points of if you, you got to have a title and it's worth one point, then you got to got to define this definition and that's worth three points. Then you got to have two paragraphs describing this or that. And I had all this stuff like laid out really clearly so that a student could tell exactly what his grade should be if he does things according to the rubric. And so then Amy, 
as the parent had to actually grade his project for him using the rubric and give him a score. But he should already know his score if he follows the rubric, right? And some people want a rubric for salvation. <laughs> Have you ever thought that way? What do I need to do to get saved? What do I need to do to make it to heaven? And uh, some of that tendency or that tension that we feel comes from these kinds of stories, the stories of the sheep and the goats. Because Jesus is saying, you did this, you clothed me, you, you gave me something to eat, you gave me something to drink, you visited me when I was sick and in prison. And we start to make this list. Am I doing these specific things? Because there's people who did these things in the story that are going into heaven. There's people who didn't do these things in the story that are not going into heaven. And so we're like, oh, I better be doing those things. So I got a list of things I need to do. And this is a tendency in, in our faith. It's to become a works-based faith. But today I want to just share with you, there isn't a rubric for salvation where it's based on self-righteousness. That, that's not how salvation works. And so many people um, want the checklist they want to know what the list is of what do I need to do so I can check it off. But good works do not come from a rubric approach to heaven, okay? But good works come from a relationship with Jesus. Let me put it this way. When we have Jesus, who's God, God, Jesus comes to us, right? Jesus came from heaven to earth. He comes to us. And so if we receive the grace of salvation through placing our faith in Jesus as Lord, we open our heart to receive him. He comes to us and he saves us. Now, when Jesus is in us and the spirit is filling us, now we are transformed. We begin to have a heart like him and out of this relationship comes something the scriptures talk about as good works. The works come out of a relationship with Jesus. Very important to understand this. So the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, um, that it's by grace you have been saved and not of yourselves. Uh, it is the gift of God. And the Bible goes on to say that we were created in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, to do good works, you know, uh, for him. And so Christ Jesus comes in and through this relationship, good works flow out. So we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works for God. So the good works come out of a relationship. What religion does and what a rubric mindset does is the opposite. It means let's go around and try to do these good things, okay, these good deeds, so that we can get to God, so that we can earn a place in heaven, so that we can merit salvation and forgiveness. So we're going to do and earn so that we can get to God. It's the opposite of, of how Jesus describes salvation to us. So when we read this parable, it's important to read it through the lens of this, this uh, idea, not through a rubric, but through a relationship, not through a religion trying to do the right things, but as a result of a relationship, these things are accomplished in us. I believe that is the overarching theme 
throughout the scriptures and Jesus' teachings of how we are saved. It is by faith that you are saved, not through good works, but the works come because you are saved. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he's not saying you better do this, 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 and this. He's saying the righteous, these are the things that the righteous do because they are trusting in him, because they have put, put their trust in Jesus and they are being transformed by him. And as a result, this is what their life looks like. It's very important for you to understand that. Otherwise, you could be really uh, living a life of fear, of religion, of working for your for yourself. The problem with having a rubric for heaven or salvation is this. You think that you earned it, right? You passed the test. A rubric is a self-righteous guide, but salvation from God is a gift. It's not earned. It's not uh, deserved. Okay. So let me put it this way. Relationship results, a relationship with Jesus results in a life motivated by love and trust. So why, why I do good deeds is because Christ has saved me and I'm loved by him and I have eternity with him. And now there's a love and a trusting in him that I now I'm motivated to do good works out of love that he has poured in my heart. However, religion results in a life motivated by fear and doubt, right? So I'm afraid I'm not doing enough to get to heaven. So I'm going to keep doing more. I'm doubting my relationship or the, or the acceptance I have with God. So I got to earn it. I got to try more. I got to do more. And I'm always nervous. I'm always concerned. I'm laying in my bed thinking, I don't know. I made a couple mistakes today. I did some sin. Uh, uh, are the scales against me now? I'm afraid. Maybe I didn't do enough to get to heaven. Maybe God doesn't, uh, isn't going to accept me. Okay. That's a religious approach to life. And it's feel, filled with fear and doubt and all of your good deeds, and I'm going to put them in quotes because they're actually not good deeds. The Bible says those kinds of actions that come out of fear, come out of doubt, come out of a religious mindset, they're actually, they're dead works. They're called dead works, not good works. Dead. There's no life of God in them. They're just your effort to try to earn um, appeasement with God or try to pay for your sins or try to earn a place in heaven. But they're called dead works in the Bible when it's coming from a motive of you trying to earn self-righteousness. But they're good works when it comes as a result of the love of God filling your life and flowing out. And that's what this story is all about. That's what Jesus is saying. We have to have a relationship with him and that relationship in him then flows through us and we begin to care about people, love people. We begin to do things like feed the hungry, you know, pray with people, reach out to them and encourage them. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to be feeding the entire staff in the Montrose School District because we have a heart to be kind to them, to love them. And so we've been doing this for many years where we do a teacher's luncheon for all the teachers, all the staff, and just show them appreciation. We actually call it appreciation, uh, but really it's love. We're just loving people, loving people into the kingdom. So there's this guy, you know, I've, I've mentioned this story uh, not too long ago called the rich young ruler. And he came to Jesus and he had a rubric uh, religious mindset. He came to Jesus and he's basically asking him, what do I need to do to get to heaven? What is the rubric for heaven? And, and he's, that's how he's thinking. And so Jesus, well, do the, do the commands, da, 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 da. And he says, I've done all those. What's left for me, right? And he thought that he had the rubric for salvation through works. 
and that this is how he's going to do it. And he probably thought he was doing pretty good because Jesus gave him a response. He says, oh yeah, I did this, I did that, I did that, I did that. I'm getting rubric. He probably thought he was like 95%, got a score of 95%. And he just wanted to be 100%, right? He wanted to get the perfect grade. So he calls Jesus, he talks to him, not calls him, but he comes and talks to him. And he says, what do I do this? And so Jesus said, because he wanted to be perfect. So Jesus said in Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be perfect, okay, go sell your possession and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Then come and trust in me. Follow me. Have a relationship with me. And what Jesus was really doing was he was asking this young man to forsake the way that he was living his life with a works-based life. His God was money. His security was money. His trust was in money. And his trust was in his self-righteousness to make it to heaven. And Jesus flipped it all the way around and said, get rid of all of that. Just get rid of it and put your trust in me. Come and follow me. Have a relationship with me. Flip it around. Instead of trying to go up to God, you surrender all of that and you have a relationship with me. You trust in me and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And the young man walked away sad. He couldn't do that. His mindset was completely opposite. So in other words, Jesus is calling us to trust in him. And James kind of talks about this tension between faith and works. James chapter 2, verse 14, he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? I want to look this up in my Bible real quick because there's a, it's, it's worth looking at this. So he says, what, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, <laughs> but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Just to bless someone, say, oh, you know, I hope that you get warm. I hope that you get food. Uh, bless you. But doesn't actually give him any food, doesn't give him any warmth. In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. I'm a faith Christian. And someone else says, well, I'm a deeds Christian. No, 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 no. James is saying, no, that's all wrong. You are by faith in Christ, you will produce deeds. You can't just say, I'm a believer and then not have any fruit not have any action that goes with that. So that's why he says this. Um, and this is a kind of a famous statement, verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's not real faith. It's not alive. It's not alive. That's what this parable is all about. Faith, real genuine faith in Christ, a real relationship in him will result in good works and fruitful living for the kingdom. It will result in loving people. So the pressure's off in a sense, right? You are not supposed to, out of fear, be trying to serve and be doing good things and trying to make a difference. You are to understand that you are secure in the love of God. And when you focus on the love of God and the love of God fills you and your relationship with Jesus is real, 
and alive, then that itself will transform your life, transform your thinking, and you'll begin to love and you'll begin to do these works that God says will happen that he created for you. But it's through Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. And so that's good news. Uh, John, in John chapter 15, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Again, here's the same idea. If we are in relationship with Jesus, then we will bear fruit. The fruit that we bear will be love. The loving acts will, will impact people's lives. And apart from him, we can do nothing. Jesus goes on to say, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So the summary here is an abiding relationship with Jesus results in good deeds because they are fueled by his love in us. And so the invitation is to remain in his love. Remain in his love. Listen, it's very easy in this world right now to get caught up in anger, to get caught up in fear, to get caught up in doubt, to, get, to become an arguer or a curser or um, you know, to, to curse the darkness. But Jesus wants us to shine the light. He wants us to be filled with his love. He wants us to remain in his love because as we do that, we live a different life of love, right? And it's not self-love. It is a love like he's called us to. Greater love is no one than this, that one lay his life down for his friends. And then he says, and I call you friends. And he's commanding us. He's calling us. Listen, the more you look like Jesus uh, and the, the stronger your relationship with Jesus is, the more you will begin to love people. That's just what happens. And so our focus in these last days and in this chaos of this world is to remain in the love of God to remain in this relationship with Jesus. And the good works will take care of themselves as God leads us. Love conquers fear. A life of love is much more powerful than a life of fear. 1 John 4, 16-19 says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So what, what this is saying is that when you are filled with God's love, and your life becomes motivated by love. It drives out fear. It's a completely opposite lifestyle. Some of us are living in fear. We're living in fear of judgment. We're living with a rubric mindset, and we know that we're falling short, and it makes us nervous. 
we got these standards. Someone taught us these standards somewhere along the way. We picked up some different things from the Bible. We picked up some different things from some preachers. We picked up some different things from people around us. And we got this list of things and we're falling short and we're living in fear that we haven't done enough to earn God's love or salvation or forgiveness. But the Bible says that just means you haven't discovered love yet in God because His love, His grace, His mercy, the good news is that you are loved by God. You can have the free gift of salvation and let love fill your heart and set you free from that fear, from that religious mindset. It's all about having a relationship with Jesus, trusting in Jesus, not trusting in ourselves to earn or make right what we've made wrong because we can't do it. But God has done it on our behalf. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying to be filled with his love is to trust in Jesus, not your good works, your good deeds, which the Bible calls dead works, but to trust in him with all your heart, to lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Praise God. And I would just pray that you will meditate on the love of God. And the best way to do that is to meditate on what Jesus accomplished for you and for me at the cross. What did he do there? What did he take upon himself? What did he take away from us? What did he give us there? And all of that, the Bible says, is how God demonstrated his love to us. When we look at Jesus on the cross, when we look at what he did for us, what he took from us, what he paid for us, what he gave us, we are looking at what love looks like. And so to grow in your awareness of how much you are loved, meditate on what Jesus has done for you on the cross. I want to close with this, and it kind of summarizes the parable of the sheep and the goats. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Again, God is saying, when you are loving people, when you're helping people, I consider it loving me and helping me, just like Jesus said. And so now may the love of God overflow in your heart to those around you. And let's be ready, let's be faithful, and let's be loving as a church to this world around us. And I just want to pray with you right now before we, before we close this video. And if you're there thinking to yourself, I, I, I want to switch my life from this religious experience I've been living to a relationship with Jesus. And I need to do that. I need to, I'm filled with fear. I've been trying to measure up my whole life. I've been chasing, you know, um, good deeds because I've, I'm afraid I'm trying to get my way to heaven. I'm telling you, that your way to heaven is not through good deeds, it is through Jesus Christ, a relationship with Him. And if you're ready to just surrender your heart to Him and trust in Him and not yourself, then I'm inviting you to pray this prayer with me. And Jesus will deliver you from that fear and fill you with His love. If that's you, let's pray this together, okay? Say, Jesus, thank you for coming and doing what I could not do, for paying a debt, I could not pay and for coming to rescue me from my sin, my failure, my brokenness, my death and giving me life and hope and freedom and eternity in you. I believe that your blood was shed for my sins. Your body was broken 
for my sicknesses and diseases. That you died and you were raised to new life for me to experience new life in you. And today I surrender my entire life to you. And I trust in you as Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I have the power to live this new life in you. In your name I pray and in your name I trust. In Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. God bless you. I'm excited that you are following Jesus today. I want to pray a blessing over you and all who are watching and just encourage you this week to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And remember, every single person that you are loving, every single act of sacrifice that you give, you are doing it to Jesus himself. See the people that you are loving as Jesus himself. And may God just bless those seeds that you plant and may they be fruitful and may the image of God be replicated through your life, okay? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you his peace in his name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day, a great week. I love you guys.